Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. I want to talk from um, Judges a little bit later on, but I'd like to recap a little bit on the story before I get started so that we can really appreciate what we're going to read. Okay, So if, if we go back to the beginning, the people of God, the Israelites, when they were slaves and captives in Egypt, they were not a happy people. Amen. In that time, there was a lot of suffering. They had promises from God through Abraham that he would make their descendants as numerous as the stars. And in the context of their captivity, they were a broken people and they were crying out to God. And God, in his goodness, raised up a man called Moses. And Moses was the vessel, another broken hero, can I say, that God used to take his people out of captivity from the Egyptians. And that journey was amazingly miraculous. Remember how the sea was parted and they walked through on dry land. And as the last of them walked out the back and as the Egyptians were pursuing them, the waters crashed back and consumed those armies. I mean, how often have you seen that in your life? Put your hand up. I didn't think so. Okay. And so then the Israelites are just the most frustrating people, but I get it because I'm the same. I'm sure in God's eyes, right? They see the miraculous, they say, thank you, Lord, for liberating us, and then they murmur and they grumble and they go on about their business. And instead of it taking a very short time for them to come into the promised land, they wandered around for 40 years. And many of their company never saw the promised land because of their disobedience. And then God raised up another hero of the faith, a man called Joshua. Amen? And uh, you remember the story of the spies? I won't tell you about it, but essentially God used Joshua to lead the people of God into the promised land. And it was a fantastic, there was a lot of fighting. They had to take the land from inhabitants who were there, enemies of God. Uh, and, and, and you can read all of the details. It goes on and on and on. But essentially they get into the promised land. And what happens near the end of the book of Joshua is God tells Joshua the different parts of the territory that he must assign to the different tribes. And so you read all about that. They allocate this land that's been won already. And then they talk about this land that is for this tribe but there are still uh, inhabitants there that need to be driven out. Uh, but essentially, all of the tribes uh, have their allocation, their inheritance declared to them. And at the end of the book of Joshua, right, they renew their covenant with the Lord because they're about to go now and take hold of God's promises completely for them essentially and and Joshua's like we need to renew our covenant with the Lord we need to honor God for what he's done so we're going to go first of all to this there are a few long two long passages ish um, if you can read along with me it'll it'll tell us a story and we'll get an idea of what's going on Joshua 24 going to read from verse 14 and this is Joshua speaking he says now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness everyone say all faithfulness he goes on to say, throw away, say throw away. throw away. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Ammonites, uh, sorry, the Amorites, in whose land you are living. But... 
He says, Joshua speaking, As for me, we will serve the Lord. Then the people, now listen to this, then the people answered, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord, our God himself, who brought us and our parents out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Awesome. That's the right response. Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and you serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, they said, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, throw away your foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. And on that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people. And there at Shechem, he reaffirmed for them decrees and laws. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. Then he took a large stone and he set it up there under the oak near the holy place of the Lord. See, he said to all the people, this stone will be a witness. Isn't that interesting? This stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. Then Joshua dismissed the people each to their own inheritance. So they had made this covenant and he said, right, go. Go to your allocated places. After these things, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath Serath, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. Right? Joshua has just died and the people now carry on to go, well, let me go to uh, Judges 2 and I'm going to continue the story from verse 6 of Judges 2. After Joshua had dismissed them, it kind of recaps. Uh, the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the, elder, and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 and they buried him uh, in the land of his inheritance at Timnath-Herez 
in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. Right, I'm about to read a shocking, shocking scripture to you. Right, it is shocking. Um, I, I was just left like in disbelief when I read this. After that whole generation, right, Joshua and the elders and everyone who had seen the miraculous del deliverance of the Lord, after that whole generation had died out, listen, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord, right, nor what he had done for Israel. How is it possible? How is it possible that a generation can die out of God's people, by the way, and another generation can grow up that did not know him, nor any of his great exploits for the people of God. Does anyone find that disturbing? I mean, they've been delivered from captivity. God has shown his faithfulness throughout the journey from captivity and into the promised land. They've been allocated their portion of the promised land. They've made a covenant before the Lord that they will serve him forever. And after that generation has died out, it seems like no one knows who God is. No one knows what he's done. There's this massive void. Let me read on. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and they served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshiped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. And whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them. Can you believe what we are reading here? God's hand was against his people because they had been so unfaithful to him. His hand was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. I mean, it's not like it was a surprise. Hey? Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of, their raid, of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. They quickly turned. They quickly turned. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the people. Sorry, uh, raised up a judge for them. He was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies. As long as the judge lived, for the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshipping them. They Listen to this. They refused. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. It's a sad story, amen? 
How is it possible that God's people can fall into such a state that a generation dies out and they are just completely clueless? So part of the thing was that they were supposed to drive out their enemies, but they didn't drive them all out. And so what happened is, whilst they were living amongst the world, they began to take on the ways of the world. They took on the cultures around them, they took on their foreign gods, and they lost their identity. They were still God's people, but they had no idea who they were. They had thrown it all away because they had been caught up in the world. And what they had done was pass nothing but mixture onto their children. And those children grew up with that mixture and those children understood only mixture. They didn't hear the stories of old. They didn't experience the God of Israel. All they knew was the God of Baal and worship of other cultures because their parents had failed to impart to them who they were. Amen? Do you know what? You can go outside that door and you will see the same thing. Amen? We live in a world that doesn't even know God exists. When you hear the word Jesus, it's because someone is cursing. They don't know what to do with that name except use it as an expletive. We live in a culture that is Godless. Amen? Just like the Israelites were surrounded by a godless culture. At the most important time of their children's lives, they let the world educate them because they failed to educate them. And I want to talk today essentially about our role as the people of God. God forbid that this should ever happen to us. I mean, thank God that there has always been a remnant of his people somewhere that has shared the gospel. Amen? That have served the Lord faithfully. Because let me tell you, there but by the grace of God go us. And what I want to do today is I want you to see, like I feel like I have seen afresh, the possibilities. Just recently, um, it was just driven home to me. I, I didn't know how to respond. When we, when we had that, uh, that higher tour, it was great. They came and they went into all the schools. They, they, um, I never got to go to any of the midweek stuff that they did in the lessons, but I trust they were sharing the gospel and the good news of Jesus. We went to the event that happened on the Friday night, right? That was um, musically, the church I don't think could put on a better thing as an event. I mean, it was great. But what I was taken aback by was the people who were there, right? 
First of all, there were hardly any older teenagers whatsoever. I think our kids probably were the oldest ones there. So there was zero interest from the older teens. And then it was full of like year sevens and eights. And all I can say is I was gobsmacked by the culture. Because I guess I've grown up in a different culture and I've seen young people respond differently. But what I can tell you was these kids were not ready to hear the gospel. They couldn't even stand still. They couldn't even close their mouths and listen. It was shocking. Hey, Hides, we left there. <laughs> Thinking, how on earth are we going to reach this generation? We haven't got a clue where they are at. And they don't have a clue about this. I mean, be honest, when they come in here, they think we are loopy. How are we going to reach that generation? Because the tools that we have in our hands right now are not working effectively. And I just felt stirred in my heart. I was crying out to the Lord, God, what are we going to have to do? Because those children are being taught by the world. And they are walking headlong into destruction. Can I just be honest? What do we do as a church? What must we do? And I want to try and address that today, if I can. God really brought a verse to my heart. Uh, Psalm 34, verse 8, says this. Start children off on the way they should go. And when they are old, they will not turn from it. That is a precious promise if you're a parent. Amen? I'm talking to us as parents today, and I'm talking to us as a family, a church family, because together we raise children, amen, in the ways of God. Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn away from it. So for me, essentially, it's all about the start, amen? I, I am not going to say that no one can get saved when they're older. But how much more are we increasing their chances if we are imparting God to them from a young age? Amen? Some parents are like, no, no, I'm not going to force it on my children. I'm just going to let them decide when they're older. But you know what you're teaching them? You're teaching them that faith is not important. And what's happening is the world's saying, come with me. Let me take you by the hand and lead you away from the ways of God. So the best thing that we can do as parents is impart this into their lives from a young age and when they're older trust God for what they will do in response the worst thing we can do is do nothing so I've realized three things number one we need to prepare our kids to receive the gospel there's a work that needs to take place before they even hear the good news amen the second thing that we need to do is empower our kids with the gospel so that they don't think of it as mom and dad's or the older people's thing. Say, it's my thing. Amen? The good news is for all. And the third thing that we need to do is send our kids with the good news. Make them know that they are responsible. Amen? 
So I'd like to kind of talk into that. I'm going to use the word train. I think my time is running away very quickly. Five quick points. T-R-A-I-N. Because uh, the New King James Version says train up a child. Train up a child. It's that process of instilling into them things that are going to en enable them. Number one, teach truth. Our goal is to teach truth from the youngest possible age that we possibly can. It's an awesome responsibility we have. You know, I've heard someone say that Christianity is one generation away from extinction. You know? If you think about it. If we all fail to say anything in a generation, there'll be no one left who knows, essentially. So it's an awesome responsibility that we have to teach truth. Deuteronomy 11, verses 18 to 19 says, Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children. Talking about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Basically, teach God's truth at every opportunity and every moment. Every moment is appropriate. You know, when we talk about teach, we're not talking about what's happening necessarily now where there's like a teacher at the front of the class and we're all listening. When we teach, we're imparting. That happens in life. So when we finish here and we go home, that's where the teaching is taking place. We are living examples to our kids. Amen. If you're here today and you don't have children here, but you're an adult, I want to tell you that you're an example to our kids. Their little eyes see things that we don't know they're seeing. They are looking all the time. You know, sometimes they look, and I have it, like all they're doing is looking on their phone. But their ears are listening. I tell you, and they're taking in stuff that we're like, oh, I thought you weren't paying attention. We need to live. Like Paul said, follow my example. As I follow the example of Christ. God's truth is the only truth that counts. We live in a world that is full of untruth. And we need to take God's word as our anchor, as our signpost, and we need to hold it up clearly, because otherwise it's not going to shine a light on our path. Amen. Amen. Teach truth. If you're a parent and you're new to all of this and you feel like I haven't a clue what I'm supposed to teach my kids, can I just encourage you, get involved in our Bible school, go on to our website, leadinglightsnetwork.com. There are many, many resources on there. Get the truth in you. Read the Word. Ask questions. Go to life group. Ask your questions. No one is worried about questions. What counts is that we gain understanding in truth. Amen. Uh, my second point is the word responsible. Everyone say responsible. It's not a word we like necessarily all the time. We live our lives quite irresponsibly, if we're honest, sometimes. The word is responsible, and what we're trying to teach our kids is that they also are responsible for the gospel. I don't know what my kids think, but I suspect that they see us as leaders in the church, and they see us as kind of the ones who are carrying the ball. Where the truth is, all of us are carrying the ball. One of the things that became really clear to me when I was at that higher tour was 
I have very little ability to influence the lives of those young people. I don't see them hardly ever. Maybe I, I saw that's the first time I've seen some of them at an event like that. They don't flock to church every weekend, so they don't get any of the gospel there. Uh, they don't ever go to the scripture union probably at their school. So why do I think that I'm going to be a massive influence in the life of a young person? You know who the most influential people are in the lives of the young people? Our kids. They spend most of their day with them. They're building relationships with them. They have ability to speak into their lives and to shine in front of them that you and I never get the opportunity to. Jesus said, you, you, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light. He didn't stand up and say, hey guys, it's me. Don't worry, I got this. He said, guys, you, you are the salt of the earth. If there's decay out there, decay can't heal decay. Salt is what is needed. Light is what is needed in the darkness. I don't want to sound like some super religious kind of dude who doesn't know how to relax. But why are we sending our kids to Halloween parties? That's darkness. Amen? Didn't God say to us that we must be a distinct people? That we have an identity that is different and it's okay. We need to teach our kids that it's okay to be different. Amen. That we have something that is so precious and valuable. And it's not darkness, it's light. So please, if you feel offended by me saying that, I hope you don't. I hope I don't sound like some zealot, over-serious kind of person who doesn't have a good time. But mixture creeps in. It creeps in. And I don't know how else to say it, but, you know, unless we shine light, there's no light. So, I just want to leave it there. Authority. Do you know what I've seen in the generation? They don't understand authority. They've grown up in an environment where we fight against authority. That we criticize authority. That we minimize it. And do you know what? Authority is God's mechanism of bringing blessing to us. Yes, there's a chance that we might get leaders and what have you who are corrupt and broken, etc., etc., and that means harm for us. But the idea of authority is something to hold up and shine a light on because God instituted it as a means of blessing His people. Did you see in our scripture this morning how when the judges were raised up, God withheld His hand of judgment from the people and they were blessed. And yet as soon as the judge died down, the people started cavorting around again and suffering again. God blesses authority and if, and if we can not see authority as what the world says it's like, but what God says it's like, we'll be blessed. We need to teach our kids simple things like respect. You know when we were at school, this is old fashioned right now, right? As an 18 year old at school, if I was sat on a wall, we had to wear hats because the sun was hot. If a parent walked past, we had to stand up. We had to tip our hat and we had to say, good afternoon, ma'am. You know what we see today? Hi, Cheryl.
Is that good? Is it good that adults are our pals as a child? Or should we learn that we have a place? That we have limits? That we have boundaries? Teachers need to be respected because God's using them to bless us with an education. Parents need to be respected because God has put them over children and given them the awesome responsibility of raising them up. Authority, boundaries, consequences. Say ABC. It's not too late to teach authority to our kids. But they need boundaries and they need consequences for their actions. Good consequences for when they do well and negative ones that remind them, hey, that wasn't great. Amen? It's okay. I'm going to speak honestly again right now. Some of you are not going to like it. Some of us are too permissive. It's just easy to say yes. It's easy to fob our kids off. Amen. But no is a good thing. Amen. We should get used to using the word no. And our kids should get used to hearing it and accepting it. It's not easy, but that's becoming an adult. Amen. Growing up and understanding an adult said no, it means no. That's cool. Uh, number four, I. Identity. This is massive. If you look at the people of Israel, they had an identity. But they lived amongst the world in such a way that they lost their identity. And they didn't know who they were anymore. You know, we live in a society that is deconstructing our identity and reconstructing it with craziness. Amen? We live in one of the most confused cultures ever. It's just like anything goes. Identity is just like a minefield. Let's just make it up. Let's say, no, it's not what God said. Let's say it's what I want or what I think today. God gave us our identity. Amen. We were created in his image. Amen. <laughs> this is serious. I'm not joking. This is a terribly difficult environment right now in terms of identity. And if we don't hold up truth, we're going to invent something that God is just going to go like, what are you talking about? Amen? So, we are created, number one. We didn't evolve. We're not our own gods. We have a creator who had an, a model and a design, and that is that. And when we are aware of that, and when we live in it, we know who we are. Amen? Um, we've been made in His image. We are who He says we are. We find life and fulfillment in Him. We find meaning and direction in Him. That's where our identity lives, folks. Amen. So please, there is a massive tide deconstructing our identity and we need to be clear that that is not helping us. It's confusing us. And my fifth point, 
We need a now impact. Psalm 127 verse 3 to 5 says, Children are a heritage from the Lord. They're an inheritance. It's almost like our children are ensuring the future. Do you know what I'm saying? When God gives them to us, they're our inheritance as well. Offspring are a reward from him. This is curious. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man who has a quiver full of arrows. Right? Children are a blessing from the Lord. Why are they described as arrows? Because I feel, God said to me this week, that our children are a weapon against darkness. When we raise them up in the Lord and we fire them out into the world, they shine light and life in the darkness. You know, they are our greatest, greatest blessing. One day I was just saying to the Lord, what do you want for me, God? I don't know what I want. I'm not sure. And he said to me in the context of kids, if all you ever do, James, is you raise up godly, God-fearing kids, you will have done the most amazing thing. And I realize because the future depends on that. We overlook our kids sometimes. We're too busy trying to, uh, I don't know, do whatever the world says is wonderful, and yet they're arrows to be fired out into the darkness. Blessing. So I'm going to finish. I really feel like as a church we've had on our hearts the importance of working with kids and working with teenagers. And we've been saying, God, help us, help us. How can we start something? What can we do? Like we were going to have an event maybe that would make a massive impact and then suddenly we'd have all these kids and we would have to do stuff in their lives and they'd be able to, you know. And I suddenly realized, actually, we, are, we need to go back and we need to look at these young children that sit here every Sunday. They are the future right there. They're not just the kids that we're passing off and getting out of the service because otherwise they might get bored and they might interrupt us and distract us. And we as parents just want to have some time to ourselves. They are the future right there. And we need to pour ourselves into them. We need to, we need to grow in our enthusiasm for the work of God in the lives of those kids and, and enable them to be like yeast that just goes out into the world and affects the world. Because an event is not going to do it. We need to send a generation into the world. Amen. Amen. And the last thing that I wanted to say, there's a bit of an initiative going on at the moment um, where a group of people are wanting to um, gift every school in Jersey Bibles. So they want all the churches to get involved. This is just a very little aside, an opportunity for you to give over and above your offerings. But they're wanting to gift 30 Bibles to every junior school and every senior school in the island, and they're asking churches to participate in this. And I think it's a wonderful opportunity. For 300 quid, you can get 30 Bibles into a junior school, or 320 quid, I think it is, for Bibles into senior schools. So we'd love to be a part of that. If you feel like you want to contribute towards that, please speak to me afterwards or speak to Heidi. If you have any ideas about particular schools, you can. But it's super attainable, and you know, that's God's word there, present in that place. I'd like to pray. Thanks for listening. 
please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. And please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.